Thanks to ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode and The Smartest Way to Hire. Running a business is full of tough calls. One of the biggest, hiring. Finding the right people to keep your business moving and growing isn't easy, but ZipRecruiter has found a way to streamline the process. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to actively find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So if you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview from the 2018 Code Conference, which I co-produced with Recode's executive editor, Peter Kafka. This is an interview Jason Del Rey did with Alibaba Executive Vice Chairman Joe Tsai. Let's take a listen. Hey, everyone. I know we are the only people standing between you and what's going to be a great dinner, which um, I'll tease a little more in a bit. But I'm super excited about this last interview of the day. Um, Alibaba is obviously one of the most powerful companies in the world, one of the most innovative. And I'm thrilled that we have one of the company's leaders here today, Joseph Tsai, who's the uh, executive vice chairman and one of the company's co-founders. Joe, please join me on stage. Sell, 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 sell. So Joe thought that a good way to avoid hard questions today would be by wearing a Yale lacrosse shirt and making me ask him about it. So, okay, Joe, why are you wearing a Yale lacrosse shirt? Because Yale uh, just won the national championship in lacrosse um, on Monday. Okay, okay, okay. And by the way, I, I was wearing this shirt on Saturday during the semifinals, so I haven't washed it yet. Oh. So, okay, we're getting spicy. Um, I thought you were going to say something with the Under Armour logo. And oh, no, maybe I should cover it. Okay. Do we they're, have any IT people in the car? Um, so, we're going to start with the really fun stuff, which is policy. Obviously, there's a ton in the news with this current administration and um, trade relations with China, on again, off again trade war, most recent announcement around 25% um, tariffs proposed on $50 billion worth of goods uh, coming out of China. I'm you know, there's still a lot that hasn't been decided, but you're watching this and I'm sure you're thinking, or I'm thinking, how does this affect, potentially affect your business globally? Um, can you give us a little insight into that? Well, I think we already got a little bit of a preview when, uh, the, when Trump was on, on the campaign trail. Uh, he talked about uh, being unpredictable. So we're seeing a lot of this on again, off again, unpredictability. Uh, uh, you know, a, a week ago, they, they came out after the uh, summit meeting uh, to say that the uh, trade war is, is on hold. Uh, but now there's uh, a tariffs on $15 billion of goods. I think we are, in a way, we kind of predicted the unpredictability. Uh, there's always going to be volatility, but what we're focused on is in the long term. Uh, and one thing that Alibaba's business here, uh, what we're trying to do in the United States, is to get small businesses and farmers uh, to see how big of a market there is in China. Uh, China right now has over 300 million middle-class consumers, uh, and we're in the process of upgrading the economy so that the, the economy is going from export-driven to consumption-driven. Uh, your average consumer now cares about uh, buying better food, uh, healthier products, 
uh, and things like that. So they're looking to outside of China uh, to bring in more imports. And that's a great huge opportunity for, uh, uh, for the producers all around the world, including farmers, including small businesses in the United States. And that's what we're focused on. So that's been the company's messaging since your IPO uh, in New York. So we've been consistent. Yes, you could call it that. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering how much of that is a business decision versus a um, recognition of perhaps the challenge, the, the challenge to do business in the U.S. in a big way if you were to try to do it, whether it be mm. big M&A activity in the U.S. And I should have pointed out earlier, you run M&A globally for Alibaba, and right. um, there's a lot of that which we'll get to. Right. But how much of it is, is decision on, well, we might not be able to get the deals we want to get done in the U.S., so this is our, this is our strategy? Well, the, the thing is, uh, four years ago, when we went public, uh, there was no trade war. There's not even a threat of trade yep. war. And we talked about helping small business, helping uh, American companies to sell into China. So that's been very, very consistent. And that, that's very much driven by, by business. Uh, if you look at our mission uh, to make it easy to do business anywhere, uh, implied in that mission is we want to help small businesses. Uh, that's how Alibaba was founded. We, f we were founded as a marketplace for small businesses to actually for Chinese companies to sell overseas. Uh, so that's pretty much in, very much in our DNA uh, to help the small business. So uh, the, the opportunity today is that there are a lot of consumers in China. We're basically a consumer-facing company, over 500 million active consumers uh, on our platform buying things. But most of those consumers are inside China. Yep. Uh, so the trade flow... Is it 90% 90, 90 of revenue or more than 90%? More than 90% of the revenue is coming from China. So the trade flow is, coming, uh, is going from the U.S. You know, if you're sitting in China, you're importing stuff into China from all over the world, including the United States. And that's always been uh, our, our business model. So the you know, on-again, off-again speculation that you see sometimes in the press of a, a big move by Alibaba in the U.S. Uh, M&A-wise is we're not going to see that? Is that? Well, we, we uh, have not tried to do a big M&A uh, transaction in the United States. Uh, we're making investments. We're uh, trying to partner with entrepreneurs here uh, and invest in, in, in minority equity stakes in companies here. We're looking for innovative people. We're looking for people that are highly entrepreneurial. We're looking for people who, are, who want our help in expanding their markets uh, into China. Got it. So you're, you're looking for strategic fits versus simply an, an ROI situation? Of, oh, absolutely. Of we never make, I mean, I'm responsible for M&A of our company, and I, I just want to reiterate, we will never make uh, a investment or acquisition purely for EPS or you know, IRR financial reasons. It's always with a, a very strong strategic lens uh, that we look at these things. Okay. Um, I know one, one more uh, related topic, and uh, I know you weren't here this morning when Senator Mark Warner was here, um, but uh, he stands on the other side of the aisle uh, from the Trump administration, and he had some uh, strong comments about uh, big Chinese internet companies, Alibaba named, um, talked about them being deeply penetrated by the Communist Party in China. Um, this is, I'm sure, not the first time you've uh, heard comments like that from a U.S. politician. What, what do you think when you hear that? And um, is there a nuance there the senator is missing? 
Well, I'm sure in a lot of American companies, there are Republicans. <laughs> there are employees who belong to the Republican Party, right? Yep. So uh, China happens to have a single party system. That's a difference in the political system. But there's nothing, Communist Party per se is, is not a, it seems like a dirty word here. Um, but in China, that's the form of government. Uh, what's happening right now is, uh, you know, over the last 30 years, China has been a manufacturing uh, country, but it's focused on, a lot of the manufacturing is low-end apparels. Uh, we're assembling iPhones and making $20 per phone, while Apple, with all the IP and the technology, makes $600 of profits on an iPhone, right? So there is a, uh, there's a recognition by the government of China uh, that we need to upgrade our technology, we need to upgrade our manufacturing sector, focus more on higher value added manufacturing, things like robotics, aeronautics, high-tech uh, medical equipment, and that's part of the China 2025 manufacturing plan. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a country wanting to upgrade its own manufacturing sector, go higher tech, be more innovative. But then, from the Chinese perspective, what we're seeing is there are a lot of people in America that want to stop China from doing that. So that's, that's kind of an unfathomable, what, you know, we're wondering why that's the case. And I think Senator Warner is in that camp. Uh, they want to hold China back. Um, I still don't understand it. I, tend, uh, I would disagree with his characterization of Chinese companies. What is the bound, so one of the senior most leaders of the company, what is the balance you're striking between What's, you talked about what, what the Chinese government wants to see, and what the balance you're striking between that, what the Chinese government wants to see, and what's, you know, and what's good for Alibaba and Alibaba shareholders. Um, my assumption is they don't always align. Well, I, I think uh, uh, we work for our customers. Uh, Jack Ma has always said, uh, if you have to rank our constituencies by priority, uh, you start with our customers first, employees second, and shareholders third. Okay, it's because um, if you're pushed, right, you have to choose among the three. You always want to serve your customers. Uh, uh, otherwise, you wouldn't have a business. And then you need to have the talent, the employee resources, uh, to be able to enable you to serve those customers. If those first two things work out, then the shareholders will be taken care of. Uh, so we, would, we never think about, of ourselves as only serving our shareholders. We have a lot of constituencies. Government is important because they regulate us. They create the environment in which we operate. So we have to have good relationship with the government. And I think it's no different from a company in the United States where uh, you know, uh, every company here has, has a, a government relations department or a regulatory department that deals with uh, day -to the day-to-day -day interaction with the government. Uh, sometimes regulation may not be totally consistent with making profits, but that's fine because there are constraints, there should be constraints on making profits if you're destroying social value. So I think, uh, 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 you know, I don't see uh, China being any, anything anywhere different from the United States. Okay, we're gonna shift gears for a second. Um, I've been in the U.S. in retail. One of the biggest uh, news items of the last year was uh, Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. The idea of a digital-first company buying a big physical retailer is a very new idea here. Um, 
Alibaba's been at this in their own way for several years now. Um, why don't you just quickly um, walk through what, what is the innovation you think you all have created with the convergence of digital and offline? I know you have grocery stores um, called Huma, mm -hmm. and um, which are part offline, part digital. Mm -hmm. Can you just quickly lay out what, what you're seeing there that we're not seeing here in the US? Sure, I think what's different is the consumer. The consumer is very, very mobile in, in, in China. We have more than 80% of our transactions that's being done on a mobile phone. Okay, so when you have a mobile device, uh, the distinction between online and offline is, is kind of blurred because you could, uh, you could sit at home and order something online and have it delivered to you on a mobile device. Uh, or you can carry your phone and walk into a store and use that phone as a device to learn more about the product and also pay uh, uh, for the item. Uh, so that's, that's really the insight we have uh, when we talk about new retail. The whole consumer experience has been transformed because of the mobile phone. And we want the, uh, the same customer to be able to you know, walk into a store, buy something, take, take it away, and then the next week, they're on the phone, uh, they're sitting at home or their office, and uh, they don't want to go into the store, but then they can order and have something delivered to them. Uh, and, and one of the most important things about having store-based operation for an e-commerce company is that those store locations are also fulfillment spots. Uh, I mean, it's not a secret to you know, say that if the inventory is closer to the consumer, the logistics, the delivery is faster. Uh, so it's very, very important. I, I think in the, you know, you, you take, think about the Amazon scenario. There's over 400 uh, stores, Whole Foods stores. If people are ordering groceries online, if they could fulfill and deliver from those Whole Foods stores, uh, that's, that's a much faster proposition. In our case, in the Hema case, we can uh, deliver uh, items within 30 minutes. In fact, that's our core value proposition, that's our promise to the consumer. And this is someone, this is someone not coming into the store and having delivered from Correct. there, or coming, or coming into the store and then having, picking out and having delivered to them? It, it's not coming to the store. Yep. Just simply, you're, you're sitting at home, or you're in your office, and you could, you could schedule it and say, I want this item to be delivered to my home because I'm cooking dinner at six o'clock, uh, but right now I'm in my office. So, so there's, there's a lot of flexibility, and we want to give the consumers a, a total experience, whether they're online or in the store. And the economics on a business like that, you know, um, delivery in the US, you know, for a lot of companies is very challenging. I think even, mm -hmm. think even Amazon on their prime now, you know, one hour, two hour, they won't talk about the numbers, but I think, you know, it, it's clear it's a challenge, challenging to make those numbers stand up right. Mm -hmm. um, are these delivery businesses profitable already? How did the economics mm -hmm. work out? Yeah, our, our, we are profitable. Our grocery stores, uh, if you combine the online and offline P&L, uh, they're, they're profitable. So including the delivery, uh, it could be run on a profitable basis. The reason it's profitable is number one, it has scale. And with scale, you can actually map out delivery routes uh, in a much more efficient way. If, you, if the store only gets uh, you know, 15 orders a day, uh, then they're, uh, each trip is, uh, and if you only deliver to one customer on each trip, that's pretty costly. But if the store gets like 1,500 or 5,000 orders a day online, uh, then there's a lot of room to map out your delivery route. So, so the same guy that's making the delivery is serving five to 10 customers. And that's where, that's where technology 
uh, and the data uh, about mapping out the routes uh, makes a lot of sense. So that, that we, we can make that a much more efficient operation uh, than a one-off type delivery situation. How tempting is it to, you know, if you feel you're ahead in a space, and this yeah. is just one example, how tempting is it to, to license that technology or export that excellence um, in a certain category, um, whether it's uh, a mature, another mature, a mature market like the U.S. Yeah. or an emerging market? Yeah, it, absolutely. I think the model has to be uh, you have your own operated stores, but then you take the standard operating procedure and the technology and you license it to other people. But the key thing is the licensee, the whoever licenses your technology is willing to make the change. And not just say, oh, now I've got this great technology, then everything will work out. Changes like, for example, organizational structure. Uh, how do you manage an online presence with an app? Who runs the app and who runs the store? Uh, you know, every store has a store manager. And you have to make sure that the people that are uh, running your online operation and your offline business, their interests are perfectly aligned. And most retailers are not organized that way. So there's got, there, there most has retailers to be, here in the U.S. Uh, most retailers in the U.S. or in China are not organized that way, and there has to be a lot of willingness and and re, true resolve and commitment to making those changes um, to make it work. So that's a no on bringing some of this to the U.S. or or have you not even en entertained those conversations? No, we have not entertained those conversations. Uh, I think the U.S. market when you're you know, serving U.S. consumers is a very different market from China. Let's talk for a bit um, about your global M&A strategy. Um, we've talked about the U.S. and I can harp on it for another hour, but that would be a little boring. So what's, um, how, do, how do you think about where you're going to buy, where you're going to invest, and the types of businesses, whether they're consumer-facing or other? How do, weigh, weigh this out for us. There's sort of two areas, two things that we think about. Number one, uh, what we are good at, can we be helpful in a new market? Uh, so we're good at developing emerging markets. Our experience in China over the last 19 years, um, you know, growing an e-commerce marketplace from basically zero uh, to something that's really large, uh, what does that experience tell us about helping, uh, helping a company in Indonesia or India for that matter? Uh, that, that's one area. The other is to look at the demographics, uh, whether the, uh, the, the country has a young population, how mobile is the population. There's, uh, you know, when you look at most of the Southeast Asian countries, they're basically leapfrogging. Uh, you know, the, nobody uses computers. Everybody's uh, accessing the internet on a mobile phone. Uh, so you look at all those things and also- And another, that's attractive. That, th clear. Those are attractive, absolutely. Young population, mobile population. And also another thing that uh, people kind of overlook is whether the country has a strong manufacturing base. Uh, Alibaba has been successful in China. Uh, well, there are a lot of consumers, but the, the flip side of the coin is that the merchants can easily find sources of product that they can, they can buy, they could source, and because China is, is a large manufacturing base. So in countries where uh, they don't produce a lot of things themselves. You have to import. Uh, that's, that's a different kind of organization of your merchant base, you know, you, because you have to provide the sourcing opportunities for them. So 
those are the, some of the factors that we look at when we uh, grow into a new market. Let's talk about India for a second. One, I'm fascinated by it. Two, there's been a lot of activity there um, very recently. So Amazon set up shop in, in India back in 2013. In the past few months, probably in the past month, Walmart has announced their intent to buy a majority stake in the number one or the number two player there, homegrown player Flipkart. You also have investments in payments company Paytm, grocery delivery company there, Big Basket, mm-hmm. um, and also a third. And you also invested in Snapdeal, which was an e-commerce site, a distant third. For Amazon, that is, they failed in China. They're still in China, but they will say they missed it. So this is the market they say they cannot miss. Right. What is what is your strategy in India? Well, if you look at India, uh, it's very, very early. We're in the first inning, right? Uh, total industry GMV for e-commerce this year is going to be less than 20 billion US dollars. China is close to 1 trillion today. So, you know, very, very early, early days. Uh, we want to take a very patient approach. In fact, Amazon is doing a very good job educating consumers of uh, the benefits of buying online. Uh, and good service. They provide a very good service in India. Um, Our strategy uh, is to look at high-frequency use cases. So online payment. Today, Paytm, you know, we have an investment in Paytm, which is the largest mobile payment uh, company in India. Uh, the, uh, the, The app is no longer just a payment tool. It's your portal, you know, to access other services that require payment, like buying movie tickets, buying train tickets, buying gold fund uh, for, finan- you know, uh, uh, wow. for investments. Yep. India, gold is a very important um, asset to own. And uh, uh, so with all these use cases, you're creating engagement. You're creating high-level engagement. That's why we're involved in a grocery company, because grocery is almost daily. It's, it's something that is you know, highly engaging. So we want to enter through uh, high-frequency use cases and build an e-commerce business on top of that. I think some of the other e-commerce players go into the market and they focus on electronics. Uh, lots of GMV, lots of volume today is selling you know, Samsung phones and Huawei phones and uh, a little bit of Apple, a lot of Xiaomi phones. Um, but how, how often do you buy a phone? I mean, it's going to be once every six months or what, 12 months. Come on. Right? I'm a journalist. Once every two years, maybe. Okay. <laughs> six, months so, for, six months for you, two, two yeah. years for me. Anyway, uh, it's yes, not every day. Yeah. Right? We're going to open up to questions in just a bit. Hopefully, we have some good ones. We haven't t- you, I'll acknowledge you guys have big cloud business, big media business that we have not even gotten to. So if you have any questions there, that'd be appreciated. Um, one last question, US related. Uh, private company in the US called Wish, um, valued at $8 billion on paper. They're competitive with one of your products, which is AliExpress, selling globally um, to consumers outside of China. Um, you know, Knowing a little bit about where AliExpress is strong globally and where Wish is strong, mm-hmm. seems like there's complementary, uh, there could be a complementary match there. Um, do you follow that business wish uh, closely, and is it you know something you think could make sense in the future as part of the Alibaba umbrella? Mm. Yeah, of course I follow that business. 
And uh, every time I watch a Lakers game, they sponsor the jersey. Yep. Wish. And uh, so I'm like, so it was worth. It was worth profits. Worth the forty million dollars right there. They got Joe's <laughs> attention. Yep. And uh, uh, no, I look. F- first of all, I think they're uh, in the, uh, a similar business as ours. So, sort of this cross-border consumer business. We're we're very positive about that business. Uh, and uh, because having one foot in China serving global consumers, you know, for Alibaba is an advantage because we're close to the merchants, we're close to the factories, we're close to the sellers. I think this business is bound to have competition because other people can see opportunities. And our, our view of competition is that makes us better. We, we have to keep asking ourselves, are we serving consumers better? Uh, are, we, uh, are we falling behind? And uh, it's just like in sports, you have to play against good teams in order to get better. Uh, so we, we welcome that competition and we, uh, you know, we follow the company and hope to you know, have a chance to talk to them at some point. Uh, but at this point, we're not doing anything to, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're not having any conversations. Okay. <laughs> um, is that a question there? It is. Okay, just tell us who you are. Yeah, John Ford from CNBC. I want to ask you about 5G, and if you will, give us a couple of scenarios. Um, People expect the U.S. and China to lead in 5G. The next couple of years will be key. What are a couple of ways you expect for 5G to be an accelerant to Alibaba's cloud business and an accelerant to the the commerce business, both in person and uh, maybe off-site, at home, on the phone? What are the ways that that low-latency network is going to I guess, allow you to pull ahead? You said you expect to pull ahead uh, of Amazon in the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at 5G, the proliferation of 5G as a catalyst for a Internet of Things strategy uh, uh, with uh, the ability of devices at the edge to run data and uh, uh, have computing that's uh, done locally, that's going to, you know, slightly be different. It'll be different from a cloud business, uh, but that's something that's very exciting from our standpoint. And uh, you can you can think of scenarios where uh, a lot of compute can happen locally, and consumers will benefit from that. So that's going to be a, a, a very important catalyst for a, a, you know e-commerce business. Uh, or gaming business, or a lot of other types of businesses, and, and these devices will proliferate. But how so? How are people going to be buying more in the store or buying more at home because there's a 5G network? What kind of scenarios are you gaming out? I think uh, you, know, you could be buying not just from your cell phone. You could buy from your refrigerator. You know, uh, if you run out of uh, milk, uh, and uh, you push a button on, on your refrigerator and, and you know, the smart refrigerator uh, makes the order. So there could be a lot of scenarios where different devices are, the, the device is gonna get smarter. Uh, the device is not your phone, but it's gonna be something else. Not an Amazon Echo. Oh, maybe an Amazon Echo, maybe. Okay. Uh, by the way, our Tmall Genie, which is a similar product, yep. uh, is, is the best selling, uh, you know, personal assistant in China today. That's a good, good comeback. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Tell us who you are, please. Jitu Patel from Box. Um, you know, if you think about 
a lot of Chinese companies that are getting to scale. One of the big reasons why there's a lot of success is you folks seem to intrinsically understand scale at a very different level than what some of the American companies have been advantaged in doing. What would you give as advice to people over here on principles around understanding scale that we don't have the benefit of just being able to experiment with because we don't have a billion people in an addressable market over here that you have the advantage of doing? What, what, what lessons would you teach us? <laughs> from a scale perspective? Well, first, I think you have to make sure that your technology systems and also people can scale. Uh, I think uh, uh, we're, we're kind of spoiled in, in a China market with 800 million internet users, and uh, everything that you do, you know, you're, you're, you're assuming that it's going to be tens of millions of, or hundreds of millions of people that is going to be using your product. I think for a company that's in this market, first of all, there, there's plenty of skill in this market as well. You know, I, I think a lot of companies in the, in the United States are also looking at overseas markets, uh, including China. Uh, so my advice is don't listen to politicians that criticize China. Look at the Chinese market as an opportunity. And there are a lot of partners, potential partners, companies, uh, ourselves included, could be your partners, uh, to explore the China market uh, together. Oh, one last quick one. Just tell us who you are, please. Hi, Joe. This is Hans from GDV. Hi. As an investor in Alibaba, then also wish Xiaomi, Xiaohongshu. Some of our companies compete against you. Some of our companies collaborate with you. So I get a lot of questions uh, in the U.S. Like, is Alibaba good for the startup system in China since Alibaba is so strong and it's everywhere and it's investing in all these companies? And then secondly, if Alibaba is so strong in China, does that uh, encourage startups in China to expand beyond China and go for the rest of the world? What do you see and how do you answer when people ask you what's Alibaba's impact on the startup system in China? I, I think Alibaba is good for innovation and good for entrepreneurs because the, the space that we're in, e-commerce, is a pretty good business. So there's always new competition. Uh, five years ago, there's, there's company A, now there's company B. We, you know, you're investing in a lot of them. So I, I think there's always going to be entrepreneurs that see the opportunity and say, Alibaba is doing it this way, but we can find a different way of doing things and beat Alibaba at their own game. I think there's plenty of people today that think that way. Uh, I, and I think that's healthy. Uh, it makes us better. It keeps us uh, on our toes. All right, I think uh, that's all the time we have, Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this interview from the Code Conference 2018. We'll be releasing all of the interviews from this year's event in this podcast feed and on Peter Kafka's show, Recode Media. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Recode Media with Peter Kafka to hear interviews with people like 21st Century Fox CEO James Murdoch, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek, and Facebook COO and CTO Sheryl Sandberg and Mike Schrepfer. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. And don't miss my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can find that show and Recode Media wherever you listen to Recode Decode. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.